very special holiday episode of the War Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and I'm joined by my very favorite elf on the shelf, Ariel. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> where are you currently perched? <laughs> I am sadly still in the cold, wet Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah. I guess it's probably cold up there now, huh? Yeah. I mean, not compared to a lot of the country, but true, for my for us delicate snowflakes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. I was not born and raised in a climate like this. So. No, no, no. <laughs> it's like it gets to be 30 degrees and i'm like oh my god it's so cold the other night i took the dog for the walk and i was wearing a flannel shirt a sweatshirt my winter coat and gloves and a scarf yes girl. it was only 30 degrees outside and there were dudes walking around in shorts so <laughs> weird that is so but weird it's so cold we're just soft yeah i know i know when the nuclear winter starts, we are not going no, to No, we're well. going to be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So, like I said, this is our holiday episode. I'm so excited. I am a total Christmas nerd. I love everything about it. I like the bad music. I like the bad movies. I like the delicious food. I like presents. I like giving presents. I like everything about it, right? <laughs> yes, you do. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. I do. So I guess as a warm-up question, I was just curious if you have a favorite holiday tradition. Oh, yeah, that is a good question. As an adult, honestly, probably wrapping presents while watching Christmas movies and drinking hot chocolate. I do that every year, and I absolutely love it. Christmas movies in general mm -hmm. make me happy, even terrible ones. Yes. Even really terrible ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I will still watch and love them. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do, though, was drive around looking at Christmas lights. Yes. Yes. I love it. And that's a quarantine approved that's activity. That's a very good point. Yeah. You can still do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think probably that's definitely going to happen this year. Yeah. Because the rest of them are definitely off the table. Yeah, I think I, I also have a very drink-based favorite activity. I like getting wasted on eggnog. <laughs> End of tradition. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite sort of creepy Christmas? Not necessarily one that you do, but like a Krampus kind of thing. Oh, like? yeah. I mean, that's a great movie. Or is that what you're talking about? I don't know. I meant specifically Krampus himself. Oh, I guess I don't understand what you're asking. I mean, I always like looking at all of the other traditions around the world and how Christmas is so much creepier than oh, other places. Oh, I the see world. what you're saying. Yeah. No, I don't know. I guess huh. I need to do that. All right. Well, here you go. <laughs> we'll see you in 2021. You can tell us so I'll ask this question again. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so before we get into reviewing the movie, which I'm very excited, uh, I should probably say what we're reviewing. We're gonna be reviewing the movie Black Christmas from 2018 directed by Sophia Tacall. But before we get into that, I have an exciting announcement to make. If you listen to any of our other podcasts on the Zombie Girls Network, you've already heard little rumblings, little hints, and various teases about us starting our own Patreon. And today, I am excited to officially announce that it is finally coming on January 1st. Yes, I'm so excited. I know. I've been torturing you poor girls, making you look at like... <laughs> A million asking a million questions showing you a different million different things and scenarios and but you know we wanted to spend a lot of time and thought and effort going into this you know that to make sure that we are creating a patreon that has 
exclusives that you guys would be excited about. There's going to be a ton of perks. There's going to be multiple levels, depending on, you know, how much you want to give or not at all. I mean, the show will continue to be free. Don't worry. But some of those perks are including, but not limited to extended episodes, bonus episodes, which are <laughs> a little more uncensored. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more uncensored. <laughs> We've already recorded a couple. <laughs> the booze and the conversation was a flow in. <laughs> yeah. You're editing the first one right now. How How is it? <laughs> <laughs> it it's was good. fun to make think... is it fun to listen to <laughs> yeah i think people are gonna have a blast listening to it because everybody is so entertaining and a little bit wasted <laughs> and <laughs> unfiltered <laughs> <sighs> yeah yeah i mean we we needed to cut loose a little bit right yeah so, absolutely so yeah so there's also opportunities to have more access to us and like and participate in our activities with us and and more there's more than that that's just the beginning so definitely keep an eye on our Facebook page and on the ZG Podcast Twitter as we're going to be announcing more information there in the coming weeks. And hopefully, you know, there'll be something that strikes your fancy and you'll want to join up with us because we would love to have you, especially at those Discord level perks where you can yeah. like hang out with us because we're going to play games. We're going to watch movies. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, we're so, really excited about kind of building a community around our podcast. So mm -hmm. we're hoping you guys will enjoy it. I mean, because there's a few people that over the years we've exchanged emails with and stuff. And, you know, even though it, we don't talk all the time, they definitely are people that we know. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. Like exactly. our personalities. They have very distinct personalities. And it'd be fun to like, actually get to know some of these people on like, a deeper level. It'd be really cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, like I said, stay tuned. More details coming. And it will be hitting Patreon on January 1st. That is my New Year's resolution to do something on time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. So that's it for housekeeping. Actually, oh. I have a housekeeping thing if it's okay. Oh, twisty <laughs> twist. Already things are getting spicy up in here. I didn't even know what's going on. Well, last episode we oh, no. covered the craft legacy. Oh, no. What did I say? No, you didn't say anything. Okay. <laughs> I did all the background research on the director, Zoe Lister-Jones. And one of the things I said was that she acted in a movie called Lola Versus. And mm -hmm. I forgot to mention that she actually also co-wrote that movie. Oh, so cool. I just wanted to point that out so that credit is given where credit is due. Okay. Okay. That wasn't bad. No, <laughs> I was like, all. what did we do? <laughs> <laughs> You're like my guilty conscience that I immediately assumed that I had said something wrong. <laughs> I feel like that's I think very that telling. says something about you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not shocking to anybody who knows me IRL. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So before we get into the movie, would you do me a solid and remind our listeners or let our, any new listeners know what our spoiler policy is? Yeah. We spoil everything. Beginning, middle, end. We're going to talk about it all. And we're going to start talking about it right away because I'm going to give a synopsis that's going to tell you everything that happens in the movie. So <laughs> if that bothers yes. you, go watch that and then come on back here. And there's some twisty twists in this. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So first, let me tell you a little bit about Sophia Tikal herself. Okay. All right. So Sophia Tikal is a director and actor who originally hails from Montclair, New Jersey. Jersey girl mm. in the house. Mm -hmm. She studied film theory at Vassar and Bernard. Oh, so wow. she is also very fancy. 
yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting a lot of the directors that we cover come from different backgrounds so it's rare to see someone who that is what they were pursuing from the jump yeah definitely so her first feature film was called green and it was a micro budget film about a couple who meet another woman and there's some jealousy and strange inner dynamics that abound throughout the film and it premiered at south by southwest to rave reviews and various festivals and it earned her the Chicken and Egg Emergent Narrative Woman Director Prize. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a very long title, but that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right out the gate, too. So <laughs> she followed that film with her first horror film, which is called Always Shine, a movie that I keep meaning to watch and definitely now will watch and going to force you to, you know, we're going to cover it on the show at some yeah. point, which was, again, very well received. It won several awards on the festival circuit stars my queen Mackenzie davis oh i love her i love her so much and again it's about strange interdynamics between women so it's kind of a interesting shift with this one yeah we'll get into that though this was followed by her first project with bloom house which was one of my favorite episodes of the anthology series into the dark called new year new you did you see that one that was so good yeah, i didn't I really... realize she had directed it i loved that movie yep yep it was again about complicated female relationships to say the least (laughs) yeah and what's so great about that movie is that it actually handles that really well i mean so many movies get that so wrong Mm -hmm. but it all worked in that movie and on top of that it's just really fun it is a very fun movie and you're right it it gets that horizontal hostility in a very specific way and i also love that it kind of goes after the wellness industry in 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 (laughs) in an interesting way an accurate way Uh, So, like I said, this was her first Bloomhouse production, and right after which she was asked by Bloomhouse to tackle the remake of Black Christmas, which is the movie we will be discussing tonight. She directed this and wrote it alongside April Wolf. Okay. And this actually made her the first woman director to direct a movie for Bloomhouse with a theatrical release. Wow. And it probably had something to do with the infamous. PR disaster of an interview that Jason Bloom did saying that there weren't many women directors and those who were women who were directing did not want to do horror. Right. Something that caught to call in particular by surprise because she was (laughs) in the process of directing a movie for Bloom house. That's nuts. I didn't realize that she was in the process directing on when he gave that interview in production on new year. Oh, that's such bullshit. That must've been a kick in the teeth for her. Yeah. So Right away, they decided to write it, and they tapped her to do Black Christmas. Now, they didn't give her a lot of time to do it, though. This movie was written, shot, and released within nine months. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. So, and that was a timeline that initially really intimidated DeCaul, who, in an interview with Filmmaker Movie Magazine, said, I was hesitant to do this movie because of the timeline, of not knowing if I'd have enough time to literally make make a movie, which I think is very fair yeah no kidding however she did eventually decide to take the opportunity and set about writing the film though her first draft was very different than what ended up on screen she described it as a harrowing incel slash a school shooter story whoa that is really different yeah but decided that as good and as interesting as that would have been that she she couldn't make it it was it was too much so she began writing a more faithful slasher remake when she was done with that treatment, though, she realized she just wasn't that interested in making that movie. So she ended up reaching out to the woman who would become her co-writer, April Wolf, to see 
if maybe there was something she could do to punch it up and make more interesting because she says in the same interview one of the things i don't like about the slasher genre is the way that women's deaths are expected to entertain and titillate it feels at least at this moment in time really bad and i didn't want to add another voice to that so she wanted basically some advice to how to modernize it put a twist on it that would maybe reclaim the slasher genre a little bit and and put it more through a feminist lens okay yeah so she got a lot of input and eventually she decided screw it let's co-wrote this thing together and it was wolf in particular who added the supernatural aspect because she wanted to get at the idea that misogyny is almost supernatural and like a, a slasher killer how you can think you've killed it but it just keeps coming back no matter how many times you do no that's interesting yeah so once the script was done, they shot the movie in New Zealand where they could have cold weather in the summer because it's winter <laughs> there because of the way the planet works. Um, right. <laughs> and they needed it to feel realistic for the Christmas time setting. That was when she learned that apparently the fraternity sorority thing is only an American tradition. Oh. Yeah. Which I didn't know. I didn't realize that either. Nobody else does that, huh? Nope. It's American. So, but she did manage to huh. find a university there that had the look of sort of a, a East Coast kind of college where you would have a Greek system. I mean, obviously the Greek system's everywhere, but the prototypical, like when you imagine what a Greek right. system looks like. So they shot it there and the movie was released in December 2019. And upon release, it was divisive. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Some of the audience found the overt political messages to be pretty cathartic, particularly in the wake of B2 and the Kavanaugh hearings, which were fresh in everyone's mind at that point. And, you know, at the same time as some people enjoyed it, there was a very vocal dissenting portion of the audience who ripped this movie to shreds. Yeah. And it wasn't just the feminist themes that people were unhappy with. It was also the fact that this movie was rated PG-13. Right. Yeah. Right. And a rating that Tikal actually went to bat for and stands by saying that she fought for this because she felt it was very important that young people were able to see it. Oh, okay. We'll get into I it. I can see that. We'll get into it. Yeah. We'll see how we feel about this. A year later, this movie, still super divisive. Uh, <laughs> just in recent weeks, I keep seeing it come up in my newsfeed. There's a lot of articles where some people are like, I'm revisiting this movie and, you know, there was something there that I didn't see before. Or, I feel differently about this or I'm an apologetic fan of this movie. This movie okay. is fun. And there's just as many articles that are like, let's compare the two and guess which one we like better, you know? <laughs> so it, it continues to be, uh, you know, like I said, a divisive film. And now it's our turn to add our voices to that <laughs> with our opinions of the movie. Oh boy. <laughs> so yeah. That's what I got for Sophia in the movie. Awesome. Tell me what this movie is about, Ariel. Okay. So I'm going to admit to you that I forgot that this was my job until about 20 minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> is that where you're like, I need 10 minutes? Yes. <laughs> well, I am shocked and chagrined because I never do anything last minute. <clears throat> I was just like, oh, it's not my job to do the research this time. I guess I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll do the synopsis if you don't want to. I would no, do no, that No, I wrote you. it down, but I'm just warning you that it's a little stream of consciousness. So if oh. I forgot anything, please feel no, no. free to This is exciting. Up. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Black Christmas takes place at Hawthorne University, 
but at the beginning of the movie, before we're really introduced to our main characters, we see a sorority woman named Lindsay who is walking alone at night and she's being stalked by a masked killer. And it turns out to be multiple masked killers. And then we see her stabbed to death with an icicle. After that, we cut to our main character, Riley, and her sorority sisters, and they're like getting ready for Christmas. It's the last Christmas before they graduate. And we learn that during her freshman year, Riley was raped by the president of the DKO frat. Most of the women in the sorority are planning to go home for Christmas, but Riley, Chris, Marty, and Jesse, I think, Mm -hmm. are all staying on campus to celebrate with each other. But before everybody kind of goes off for Christmas, they are going to perform in a holiday talent show hosted by the DKO frat. And unfortunately, when they get there, one of their sorority sisters ends up almost being raped by one of the frat boys. But Riley steps in and is able to kind of stop it from happening. But that leaves an empty spot in their performance. So Riley steps in and they do this sort of song and dance Christmas Which number. Which has been stuck in my head. I cannot get it out of my head. I rewatched <laughs> the movie today and I've been humming it and I want to die. <laughs> oh no. I'm so Oh, thanks for that. (laughs) Hey, don't say I didn't get you nothing for Christmas. It's the season of giving. (laughs) So the song and dance number that they perform is they've replaced the words in a Christmas song with lyrics about sort of the rape culture at the frat. And they get some applause and obviously a lot of boos from the frat boys about their performance. Then the woman who was almost raped, she goes missing, and all of the uh, sorority sisters, like our main four, start receiving creepy DMs that say they're from Calvin Hawthorne, who was the founder of the university. More sorority sisters go missing, and soon they're all at the sorority house, and a guy in a cloak and what looks sort of like an eyes wide shut mask breaks in. (laughs) (laughs) Fidelio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He uh, breaks in and he attacks the women, but Riley is able to kill the attacker. Unfortunately, there are more of them, and they're already inside the house. Mm. Marty sacrifices herself to try and save the other women but that doesn't work so well she ends up dying and then they're attacked by more masked men and they have to quickly dispatch them they finally get away at this point we're down to just riley and chris they get away in a car and at this point riley sort of realizes that some black magic stuff has happening with the frat because I, for- I think I forgot to mention that earlier on she sees a weird ritual happening with the frat and the bust of mm-hmm. Calvin Hawthorne, who is the founder of the college, and weird black goo coming from his eyes. And so she realizes that what's been happening to them is connected to the frat. So she wants to go there, but Chris disagrees with her. Riley goes on her own. She gets tied up and I think hit on the head and is knocked unconscious. And then it turns out that the frat has been doing dark magic rituals mm. of some kind to keep unruly women in check, essentially. As you so do. the black goo mm-hmm. from the Yeah, of course. <laughs> totally normal. Black goo from the bust of Hawthorne 
possesses the frat boys and then they sort of want to murder any woman who won't kind of step in line i guess so chris the sorority sister who survived along with some other sorority sisters who were also attacked by mass men all come to the frat house and kind of band together and they're able to defeat the frat bros and finally destroy the hawthorne bust and that ends the movie Yep. Did I get that okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they destroy the Hathorn bus and then lock them in and burn them alive. Oh, that's right. You're right. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> good point. It's but I mean, darker. essentially, you nailed it. There's also one good guy, Landon, who flirts yes, awkwardly. Sure we'll talk about and I found actually yeah. pretty adorable. But yeah, he was charming. All right. So, Ariel, you know, we like to talk about things that we like and then we finish up with things that maybe didn't work for us. Let's start with what did you like about this movie? Okay. Can I just so, chime in one thing? Jesse's eyebrows. Yeah, go for it. Chef's kiss. I'm not really into this gigantic eyebrow trend that is happening now. And maybe that's because okay. I'm an old and this is for the youngs. <laughs> but normally those just look like bricks on people's foreheads. Her eyebrows are thick and lovely. Okay. That's all I had to say. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just needed to get that important point out there. You need to get it off your chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> All right. So things I liked about this movie. One, I think it's pretty fun and breezy. It's not boring. It moves along at a decent pace. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I didn't to come off no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just funny. Yeah. All right. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> you got to be honest. You got to be honest. Yeah. Okay, it looks good. It's a fun movie. I have now watched it three times. And That's a lot of times. It is a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing. I was never bored during it. That's I good. still, I think it's a fun movie. Mm -hmm. it, there's a, there are problems I have with it, but none of them have to do with how entertaining I think. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah. I really like Imogen Poots. Yes. That she's really good in this. I think she feels like a real person. She feels very relatable. And it feels like an, an honest performance. And I liked her. I also liked the woman who plays Chris. I think her name is Elise Shannon. Mm -hmm. I thought that she did a pretty good job, too. And of the characters in the movie, they're the ones that are the most fully realized. Yeah. The ones that you kind of get to know the most. Yeah. And, I, and, so, and I, I like them. I thought they were both pretty entertaining. There's a scene where Elise Shannon's character, Chris, walks up into maybe the attic or an upper floor of the sorority house, and she finds one of the sorority sisters dead. Yeah. And you never see the body. You just see her reaction on her face, and she looks genuinely terrified. Yeah. So I, I think that she did a really good job there. Mm -hmm. I think that when we get into cons, we can maybe talk about the lack of nuance here or subtlety. <laughs> that is also in my notes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that the director is bringing up interesting topics here yes. and trying to have interesting conversations about institutional racism and sexism that are kind of baked into the higher education system, especially at Ivy League universities, mm -hmm. which I think this is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It talks about rape culture and toxic masculinity, and they have some conversations about, you know, what it means to be an ally of somebody that's been victimized in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that stuff is interesting. I, I think that there are parts of it that they maybe could have done a better job of, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But I do think that there are interesting things to be said. And there are a few moments in this 
where they hit the subtlety really well mm-hmm. that I want to just point out really quick. Yeah, please. So one of them is I know probably every woman who's listened to this podcast has been told at one point, if you're walking to your car at night, put your keys in between. Yes, your fingers, I have this right? in my notes, too. Yeah. And there's a great scene where nothing is said, but she uses that to kill one of the bad guys, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, it's a great thing where nothing is talked about, but you know when you see it what the director was saying with that, right? Oh, absolutely. It absolutely yeah. stood out to me. The first time we see it is when the girl's being followed. Then we actually see it put to use. But there is something very symbolic about that. That is a yes. representation of fear that every woman I know has experienced. And there has been a time where you've turned your keys into a claw at some point in your life. A hundred percent. It is a basically universal experience that I think that is in this movie because it is written and directed by women. Yeah. And there's something very cathartic about actually seeing it be successful. That's true. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Even when Chris has to go and like pull those keys back out of the body so they can escape. Mm -hmm. I did enjoy that scene as well. So another one I would say is you mentioned the guy Landon, Mm -hmm. who's sort of the nice, normal guy in this movie. The sweetie. The sweetie pie. Yes. (laughs) Um, I really liked that actor. I thought he did a good job. And there are a couple moments with him, for instance, when you're first sort of seeing him in the coffee house where the camera hits Imogen Poot's face and you see that she's uncomfortable because uh-huh. she doesn't know why he keeps looking at her. Yeah. And you see that reading is a little bit of fear. And then obviously they become friends later. But I think that that was a good moment, too, where nothing is really said. But I know watching it. How mm-hmm. frequently women have to fear men, even who might be nice, because you just don't know yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if considering what she's gone through. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's a moment later where she is walking with a shovel <laughs> to the frat house to confront them. <laughs> and <laughs> she's limping, <laughs> has murdered a couple people. And he sees her because he's on her way to what he thinks is their party. Yeah. And he asks, what do you need from me right now? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that the movie is, is kind of trying to get at that, like, how can men help in these situations? How can you, you how know? to be an ally? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think there are some moments like that. Also, I think there were some good parts of the fight between, I can't remember the character's name. I think it may be Marty and her boyfriend. Oh, yeah. They have an argument right before all the shit happens. Yeah. And there there were some parts of that that I, I thought were good, too, where, you know, he's like, not all men, and <laughs> and then tells her to calm down and that she's being hysterical. God, that is when so she's, like, real. Barely it raised sounds her voice. like a stereotype, but it's so real. It, it really is. It is. It, I've, it really I've is. literally had that yep. phrase said to me multiple times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, did you just not all mince me? That just <laughs> yeah. fucking happened. You goddamn stereotype. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And being told to calm down or that you're being hysterical when you're being very reasonable. Yeah. Is yeah. Uh, infantilizing and angering. And patronizing and yeah. dismissive. <laughs> trash yeah yeah all Straight of those things trash. and it's like this giant lie that has been perpetrated that women who maybe raise their voice a little bit or who speak with passion and conviction yeah or maybe even cry in an argument are hysterical right 
and need to calm down, but men who yell and get in your face or punch a hole in the wall yeah. are the calm, rational ones. Yeah. You know? Anyways, sorry, just even talking about it makes me angry. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. So anyways, I thought all of that stuff was was really good. And there, you know, like I said, there's a lot of good stuff about this movie. And I wasn't mad that I needed to watch it multiple times, you know. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I, first of all, also a total poots head over here. <laughs> that's what that's what the poots true poots fans call themselves oh poots okay fans, yeah. all right <laughs> no i love her i've loved her and this is gonna this is gonna be a controversial statement on this podcast okay. i've loved her ever since the first time i saw her in the fright night remake which i enjoy more than the original <laughs> i'm like right. virtually so ducking one... right now <laughs> <laughs> one you're right she is great and two that remake is really fun three you're so wrong <laughs> that's totally fair that's totally fair uh I, I yeah i think that's totally fair and i know you love that movie and there's so much to love about it i just i think i just <laughs> i just happen to connect more with the remake that's all no but i hear it, you and that it, movie is very fun david tennant is great in that david movie. tennant is great in it i thought the oh, i can't think of the actor's name that plays the vampire is really good and sexy and scary more so than chris yeah. sarandon and it had Imogen Poots. <laughs> it had the Poots. But yeah, yeah I, no, that doesn't mean I don't valid. like the original. I just, if I had to pick, I would choose the remake. <laughs> all right, all right. But, so we're still friends, right? Yes, We yes, didn't just break friends. up, we're right? Good. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> this is like Pet Cemetery all over again. <laughs> I know. If Pet Cemetery didn't ruin our friendship, I think we're safe. We're going to survive uh, Fright Night Gate? Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah, so I love her. I find her to be deeply compelling she has a face that i want to look at but she yes. also has this energy about her that she's extremely beautiful and yet feels very relatable and she's sort of the more real version of, of uh scarlett johansson oh wow and i, I mean that as, that, as a right. compliment yeah i'm much more emotionally engaged with imogen poots oh you've seen green room right yes she's so good good she has a very interesting face it's compelling there's something really compelling about her beauty definitely it's like a she has it's not a traditional beauty it's it's a very Mm -hmm. unique beauty that i find i mean you know me how i feel about traditional beauty in general so thank you (laughs) hard pass (laughs) so so yeah I, i love her but okay anyways i think this movie has some really interesting ideas and fresh twists on some ideas and explores some some areas that are very interesting we'll get into execution a little bit but in terms of intention i think there is really good intention here i can feel i can the anger and the frustration that is the impetus for the writing of this piece i feel is palpable Mm, Uh, i can definitely feel that coming through the script Again, whether it's always fully successful, we'll get into that in cons, so no. But I do feel the passion behind it as opposed to, you know, sometimes you watch a paint by numbers. I think probably the original remake of Black Christmas might fall more into that category. So, so yeah, I do like that. I do think it has a lot of potential. And I feel like, unfortunately, some of those ideas stay very surface level. Yeah. And part of that, I think, comes from the time in which it was written, that it was very freshly in all of these headlines. And the discourse has maybe moved on a little bit by the time it actually hit theaters. So it doesn't 
That's it, interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way. You know, yeah. so I, I wonder if some of that is it. I also think that, you know, as we talked about, it had a very abbreviated timeline, right? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I think that explains a lot of things, too. Yeah. So even though it does feel a little bit a little bit clunky here and there, I think spiritually, it's very much on point. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the attempt to explore misogyny through the lens of mythology a little bit because it's so misogyny is so entwined with the american story and american history and american culture so this idea that it's kind of it's part of our mythology is very interesting to me and i like how it it sort of gets at the way that misogyny is institutionalized and socialized and encouraged uh, there's a one particular scene at the end now the end is a little silly we'll get into that but there's a moment where they're they're going to finally punish riley and all the men turn their backs and they're like see no evil see no evil and the way that men even in this case landon who's under the power of hawthorne kind of fail as allies by turning their back to these things and and actively choosing not to see things yeah is i think an interesting topic that it it, it touches on i also really like the way that it skewers how when viewed through a misogynistic lens men can feel victimized by equality right (laughs) you know women simply demanding the same level of respect that they enjoy somehow makes them victimized that that is Mm -hmm. their sole right and if and if that is threatened or that it feels demeaned if everybody has it is something that's very frustrating in real life and i think is it's interesting that this movie kind of touches on that and i think you know they don't it it doesn't extend it's not quite intersectional enough to extend to how white fragility ties into that but i think we're getting (laughs) closer to that conversation which i thought was interesting yeah i also thought that this movie even though it definitely thematically is trying to touch on very current things does pull from some interesting things from the slasher genre particularly there are a handful of really great classic shots in this Mm -hmm. specifically when riley is walking around the campus by herself and we as the camera is watching her from different windows it felt very much pulled from the 80s there was a little pov vibe to it that felt very intrinsic to the slasher genre that i that and it just kind of shows you that some of the best tricks are the old tricks they're still effective because those movies those parts were probably the most sort of creepy to me and then finally though it is all too brief the scene for me that worked the best was the brief chase scene inside the house i actually really wish there was more of that that cat and mouse yeah where they're discovering the multiple killers and they're improvising weapons you know talking about sisterhood tag teaming them and taking them out stabbing them with keys the hooded killers all that stuff i thought actually worked pretty well and i was kind of i kind of felt like the movie hit a lull for a little while after they left the house i mean i know it's yeah. like kind of in it's clo- getting into the final act so it's not like a huge amount of time but i felt like we finally had gotten where we wanted and then the action kind of stalled the pace kind of stalled for me at that point i actually would have liked more of them dealing with them in the house yeah, that's probably the most entertaining part of the movie. Yeah. And I think it would have been greatly enhanced if there was some actual blood, but we're getting into cons, so I'll yes. stop there. So, yeah. So <laughs> overall, like you, I found the movie to be entertaining. I think that 
it has the Jennifer's Body syndrome where, although Jennifer's Body is an excellent movie, where it was set up to fail. And yeah. a lot of, because here's, I'm going to break it down for you. Slasher movies, okay. they're not great movies. Okay? They're not. <laughs> That's not what you're there for. And it's fine that they're not great. This movie, unfortunately, lacks the one thing that slasher movies do need, which is really great kills. But yeah. to say that this movie is bad because of the writing or because I just feel like that's disingenuous because we don't normally give a shit about that in slasher movies. I love yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, really but guess what? It's not because the writing is amazing. So, right. you know, so, you know, I kind of I kind of want to give it a pass and be like, for the subgenre that it is a part of, it's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine right. in terms of writing. So, and I was entertained. I watched it twice and there were things that I did enjoy about it. I do not think it deserves the vitriol that it gets. Is it my favorite movie? No. Do I root for this movie? Because for one thing, it was the first woman directed theatrical release by Blumhouse. Yes. But at the same time, being totally objective, this movie is, is just fine. It yeah. is not a bad movie. It is not a great movie. It is not a bad movie. And I, I think that there is a lot of, social dynamics that go into this movie getting the kind of shit that it gets yeah okay all right that being said i think we we have some criticisms of this movie so maybe what were some of the things that maybe did not work for you okay so did you end up getting a chance to watch the original no okay (laughs) that's okay you'll get to it eventually i will it's probably gonna be my shameful probably (laughs) all right so I'm going to talk about the original since you haven't seen it. I won't spoil anything okay. too much. But... I mean, I kind of generally know about it. Okay. All right. So one of the things that really works for me in the original, when I saw it, when I was originally saw it when I was 12 years old, and I still think holds up today, is that it is genuinely creepy. You have this person calling on the phone all the time, and the calls are really unsettling and very creepy. And there's tension because you are seeing bodies and kills, but the sorority sisters living in the house don't know that it's happening. And that goes on for quite a while before they realize what's going on. And I think that this movie doesn't really have any of that. And I don't need it to be like a carbon copy remake. It certainly is not. They share very little in common, actually, other than being set in a sorority house. There's, There's not much else that's in common with them Mm -hmm. but i do want it to be at least a little scary or a little unsettling a little creepy have some really fun kills and i think that one it it's just not creepy yeah and two because they don't have any blood and you don't see a lot of the kills actually happening Mm -hmm. you lose a lot of why you would want to watch a movie like this yeah So just what you were saying, you don't need the writing to be perfect in a movie like this, but the counterbalance to that is that you need really good entertaining kills. Right. (laughs) Right. That's what we're paying our ticket price for right there. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that sadly this movie lacks that and it may have to do with the rating, I'm assuming, that they really kind of pulled punches when the sorority sisters are disappearing early on you don't see those kills happen you barely see their bodies so just a little context basically a lot of that stuff was shot more not i don't Mm. i don't i think the choice to have black blood and things like that okay were in the original cut but 
basically she wanted a PG-13 rating, period. Gotcha. Because there is sexual violence content in this movie, it's already really on the edge of R rating, apparently. So she had to cut a ton of things to make sure. So she could show someone get shot by the arrow, but she couldn't show the arrow in their face. At the end, when somebody says, suck my clit, they cut off clit because that would have made it R rated, which is very sexist in my opinion. (laughs) Whatever. But (laughs) so a lot of what you're talking about is stuff that she intentionally was negotiating out of the movie so that she could keep that PG-13 rating. Yeah. And I think that is a tactical error in this in the case of this movie. Yeah, I, I really think so, too. I mean, I can appreciate the intention behind right. it, why she wanted to have more people be able to view this movie. But I think it makes the movie far less successful and is going to have less staying power because of that. And spoiler alert, kids would have seen this movie. It was already. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, exactly. I don't know about you, but, you know, 90 percent of my slumber party. Yes watching war slasher films that were um, i went to a birthday party when i was eight and saw or uh, friday the 13th too you know (laughs) so i kind of feel like the intention behind choosing to go pg-13 was laudable but like i said strategic error yeah it neutered a movie that i think i think this movie could have had the exact same script and if you had some really gruesome kills People would have loved it. And I get the idea of not wanting to have a bunch of women killed on screen, but you've solved this problem with your plot because you have multiple killers. So maybe the women getting killed, not violent. We keep them just how they are. But you have five or six really gruesome kills of the killers. Yes. We are talking. Now we yeah. are cooking with fire. <laughs> yeah, no, that would have been amazing. I think that really could have fixed it. Mm-hmm. And then the the fact that the blood is black, that it's this black goo, yeah. you get why they did it for plot reasons, I suppose. Yeah. But I think it just lends to it being more cartoony. Yeah. And it, it has less impact because of that. I also think that they had the whole thing with the DMs, them getting these creepy DMs, I think is a nod to the original, obviously, but they're just not creepy and they weren't unsettling. And You didn't even really read them very much in the film. So, and it didn't seem to unnerve the women very much either. Yeah. So I think that that wasn't, that wasn't a successful change. You need the catharsis of a woman covered in blood. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like seeing somebody splashed with black stuff, it it, it just does not have that same visceral neurological response. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And and seeing the killers all bloody would have been good. I also think the killers aren't that scary. When he kisses her under the mistletoe. No, no, no. <laughs> Did not like. <laughs> Which is, to me, shows a sign of potential. There's yeah. there's something there. But I yeah. think choosing the PG-13. Listen, I am not a big proponent of horror movies needing to be R-rated. Some of the mm-hmm. best horror movies are not. That has been proven time and time again. I don't think you can make the same case for a slasher movie. No, I really don't. They think are you the can. exception. Slasher yeah. movies, body horror. Yeah. You got to have the gore. You got to have gore. <laughs> I mean, it's what it is what the genre is about. Use it. Take advantage of the, the the real way to twist it is to take those tropes and then put a little twist on it. Not to remove yeah. them because you ironically neuter your film. <laughs> good one so glad i got that in there (laughs) okay so 
some of the other things, like we were saying before, I think that they're trying to tackle interesting issues mm-hmm. with this movie, making statements that, you know, that need to be made, uh, topics that we all need to be discussing more and shedding light on. I just think that it lacks subtlety and nuance mm-hmm. and it really show it really tells not shows most of the time. Yeah. And I think that sometimes these conversations that they have that are just telling you about these issues, it sacrifices plot and characterization mm. in order to do that. Oh yeah. And I think that movie that makes the movie a lot less successful. And I think that especially for a movie that's really trying to deal with issues that women face, it would have been nice to get to know the women better. Yes. And we really only get to know two of them. Yes. And even then, it's a little surfacey. Yeah, I really came away from this wishing I felt like the women really loved each other a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they say it a lot, but I yeah. never really felt it because I feel like, you know what it is? I feel like the characters are constantly talking past each other. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. both kind of the star of their own movie. Right. And we happen just to be watching Riley's because even when they're arguing, I don't feel like there's ever that moment where they're hearing each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when shit goes down, the stakes are just not there that if they were a sisterhood before the show, we were talking about that movie spontaneous that we both were like too dark, but yeah, until it goes too dark, there's so much tension in that movie because you genuinely like a handful of the characters so you're yeah, like, I feel like you know that you're mm-hmm. afraid one of them's going to explode. And then when it does, it freaking hurts, man. None of that happened in this movie. And that's OK. It's a slasher. But they also don't have the element of what you paid yeah. your ticket for. So yeah, if you're not going to make me feel things or get to know the characters, you got to kill. You got to dispose of them stuff. in joyfully gruesome ways. Exactly. You know, a movie does that <laughs> freaky. That movie does it great. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great point. That would show I mean, that movie is so much fun. Well, so amazing. Okay, sorry, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you make a good point. There's a scene where the shop teacher gets cut in half. Uh-huh. It is incredibly gory in a sort of silly, over-the-top way. Yeah. And that is so cathartic. And I wish we had gotten something like that in this and movie. And the fact that he was... <laughs> basically targeted for being a total misogynist exactly my point that should have been in this movie (laughs) yes that's how they should have taken out you know uh, carrie was yeah that's wesley needed to be on the woodshop table (laughs) (laughs) which by the way highlight of the movie for me was seeing his picture in the hallway and it's totally princess bride young carrie was we we've known him so long we're like yeah that's that's what he looked like (laughs) yeah i mean that's on my con list as well that i know in (laughs) second one i was like bad guy yeah (laughs) and it was not a red herring no, but here's the thing. I actually think they kind of underutilized him. Mm, that's probably true. I think with David Duchovny, when we watched The Crowd oh, Legacy, God. they overused that. Yeah. <laughs> they needed to hide him in a corner. Uh... But <laughs> Carrie Elways is so much fun. And I feel like he could have done a lot of that twisting of the mustache evilness. Right, right. Let the man chew the scenery. Yes, exactly. Let him so, chew. Yeah, I think they should have done that more. But back to what we were talking about, about it lacking the subtlety and nuance. I think that this movie would have been far more successful if they had picked a lane and either Mm. really honed in on that and really done a great job or they had gone for the gore and made this a slasher film that just has a little bit of the 
political issue stuff yeah in there because there are so many i feel like a lot of people complain about issues being at the forefront of horror movies which is such bullshit because I mean, it's always been there. have you it's watched a like horror a movie come idea. on yeah have you ever watched one before other than friday um, the 13th have you watched any of them <laughs> and even those <laughs> probably have some shit that i just haven't picked up on right right and so many movies do it really well. I mean, we can talk about Get Out till the cows come home, but there have been a million movies that have done that, like Night of the Living Dead. I mean, that movie tackled racism and Frankenstein, mob mentality and judging before you know somebody. There are so many movies that tackle these issues, but it's done in a subtler way than this movie mm-hmm. was able to really accomplish. And I think that's that's a little bit too bad for it. This movie does come a little bit across like someone who just had their awakening. Mm-hmm. They're just like, listen, look at all the injustice. Yeah. <laughs> and I get, yeah. I mean, I guess I, there's a part of me that I get that feeling and that feeling, I have a place in my heart for that feeling. Sure. That makes me forgive it a little bit, but I just, I guess I just want more for this movie because I think it has so much potential. Yeah. There's something there. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't fully realized. Yeah. I also think that. The twisty twist of it was telegraphed to you pretty early on. They literally not show it to you. Yeah. That's one of my one so. of my cons as well. It's like the mystery <laughs> aspect. What's the mystery? We saw it yeah. already. So then when you get to the end and they do the reveal, you're like, no, you're but like, I watched that course, in act duh. one. Yeah. <laughs> I already knew. saw it. But I also think that Riley coming to that conclusion in the car, when they have this sort of exposition dump and she talks about oh it must be the dko frat and they're doing like satanic rituals with the bust of hawthorne i do think there's a bit of a leap in logic yeah. that you're you would get there that the black quickly blood. yeah 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 i mean i don't know if i saw black blood and black crying stigmata face i probably i guess like, that's maybe true I mean, yeah <laughs> but still i don't know i don't i kind of wish they had not given us everything in that first act yeah. If you had just seen a hint of what was happening in there, but it was, I don't know, it was too much. And then for there not to be a further twisty twist on top of that, was the twisty twist that Gary Elwes was in on it too? Because of course he was. Because <laughs> that he... wasn't a twist. Yeah. No, it's it's just it's just not that successful. And I know that you want to talk about the ending, so I'm going to let you do that. But uh, I mean, we've kind of talked about it, just that it was, yeah. you know, pretty silly. And that they kind of robbed themselves of a reveal by giving us that act one total explanation. <laughs> and and I think they were trying to get into a Suspiria vibe and which I would have been totally on board with, like a, you know, a gender flipped Suspiria. Sure, let's do it. But like I said, they already told us that in the first act. Right. I kind of wish that I wish the movie in general had a darker tone because it has such a dark ending. You know, locking them in to burn to death is such a grim way to end a movie. It has potential to be extremely cathartic if you stick the landing, right? Because there's this idea of metaphorically burning it down. The only way to to break the patriarchy is to burn the shit down. That's a very radical perspective to take, right? And this movie is definitely trying to be very radical, right? So yeah, I like that. But I think because the rest of the movie has sort of a lighter tone and then this happens and then there's no impact on the characters themselves. It doesn't quite hit as hard as it could. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I would say the one positive about it is that 
in the original, I don't want to give too much away for you, but the way that it ends is very dark. Right. I think I know how it ends. You do? Yeah. Can I just talk about it then? Is it that she kills the wrong person? Well, yeah, sort of. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing I know. So okay. okay. So at the end, you're there's something that even darker that sort of happens at the end, the very last couple minutes of the movie, oh. where what you're left with is the main woman still being in peril. So there's something that's kind of nice about the opposite of that happening mm, here. That's true. Okay. Okay. But they again didn't stick the landing, and I and I think that. Yeah, that's just a, a problem with it. In the original, it tackled issues too. I mean, they talked about abortion in really frank terms that is very unusual for a movie that was made at that time period. To talk about abortion and have men's bad reactions to women making autonomous decisions about their own body. Oh, wow. Okay, so people should not be butthurt that this is a political film. No, no, not at all. I don't I'm know what hearing. people were thinking. If you've ever seen the original, it really does something with that. I mean, there are several scenes that talk about this abortion and that was a hot button issue of the time. Mm -hmm. So in of the, same the time, way these are <laughs> welcome to 2020 well, any time, <laughs> but I just mean that it was more, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it was new. It was the, the that the me too discussion of that era. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think that the way that that was a little bit more successful with it is that the conversations feel really naturalistic to the plot and to the characters mm -hmm. that are living it in a way that it doesn't always in this movie. But yeah, people should shut up about <laughs> politics and, and important issues being in movies because that's just sort of the deal. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Find a different genre, dude. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Overall, this movie is like I said, it's not amazing, but it's not as bad as people would have you think. Yeah, it is agreed. kind of a an easy watch. It's an easy watch. That being said, I don't know that I would necessarily go out of my way to recommend it to people. Yeah, and I think a lot of it again comes down to that accelerated production time and how it impacted the writing. Yeah, it did, however, make me very interested. More so even than I was before in watching Always Shine. Because I want to see how Tikal's style differs there. You know, because New Year, New You also had a somewhat accelerated Bloomhouse style timeline. Mm -hmm. Whereas that movie, she spent years working on it, getting it made. Like oh, in the writing, really interesting. the editing, the, all of it, right? Because it was an independent film. So it just, it took literally years and years to make. So I want to see kind of how her style differs. Because I do think... She is a very competent director. Yeah, I, absolutely. I don't think there's anything technically wrong with the film. I think it's scripting and some strategy issues. So I want to see how, how she does with Oli Shine. So that will definitely be something we're covering pretty soon. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. And I really did like New Year, New You a lot. Yeah, so I'd be curious to see what else she does. Yeah. Would you recommend? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If you want a movie to put on in the background that's sort of fun while you're doing something, I would say go for it. But I think that there are better examples of this kind of movie that we that I would recommend to people before this one, I unfortunately. Mean, I would throw it in a Christmas horror playlist. If you've got sure. Christmas movie horror movies going along, this one goes in there. You know what I mean? Throw yeah. it in. Throw yeah. it in. Yeah, definitely. All 
right, cool. Well, that is it for our review. If those of you out there have some thoughts on the movie or there's something you'd like to see us cover or whatever the case may be, feel free to drop us a line at, at Rachel at zombiegirls.com. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Originally, this podcast was a part of the Zombie Girls feed. It still is, if that's how you're listening to it. But if you found us on your own or you especially love the show, it has its own feed on on apple podcast so please review us there and if you're looking for something to watch tonight since we're all still in core and uh the holidays are here so maybe you have some time off you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar on the zombie girls website where we keep track of all the horror and horror adjacent stuff that is currently on streaming services as well as on video on demand we took all the work out of it for you <laughs> and that just leaves our plans for the next episode. Now, Ariel, it's your turn. What are we going to watch? So we're sticking with Blumhouse. Oh. We going to- <laughs> this has just become the Blumhouse podcast. <laughs> I really don't want that to happen. But <laughs> I mean, there's only a but handful of movies directed by women. Yeah, so that's we'll- a good point. We'll it will be a short quickly. season. <laughs> So we are going to be watching Nocturne. Ah, now this is one of those Welcome to the Bloomhouse joints, right? Yes, it is. It's one of the four that's been released so far, and it's getting pretty good reviews, so I'm excited to take a look at it. It's directed by Zoo Quirk, and it says that it's about the insides of the hall of an elite arts academy. A timid music student begins to outshine her more accomplished and outgoing twin sister, when she discovers a mysterious notebook belonging to a recently deceased classmate. Ooh, you know, I didn't know what this movie was about. Now I'm double intrigued. I saw that it was yeah. like supposedly the best of the bunch. So that's exciting. Now this yeah, is the so one that's on Amazon Prime for those who want to play along at home. Yeah. Awesome. All right, cool. Next time, Nocturne. Ariel, yep. you want to take us out? All right, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the More Deadly Podcast. We just finished recording episode 20, which is really exciting. (laughs) I can't believe it. I feel like that happened so fast. I know. I know. It's amazing. We hope you guys are enjoying. Stay with us for two weeks from now. We'll be recording an episode about Nocturne. So check that out. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.